0: Acts fifteen thirty six through 41 And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. All right, good morning. How are we doing this morning? You got good big plans tomorrow? Going to barbecue, all that kind of stuff? I guess not. I guess we're going to sit at home and do some work like we are, right? That's why I'm not excited. We're painting tomorrow. That's my Labor Day plans. But uh, glad you're here today hanging out with us. A um, couple of things before I get started into the text and into the message. Um, the first is this. Um, uh, let, where, where's our ladies? Let me hear you. Are you in here? All right, again, there's three of you. Okay, so so when I, when I interact with you, it's okay. To talk. like I know a lot of you all grew up Baptist, and you're like, nope. Not saying anything. So, so I'm going to try this one more. Where's my ladies at in the room? All right. Now, here's the thing you need to know. Ladies, there's some exciting opportunities coming up for you. There's a ladies Bible study. There's an event. All this kind of stuff. So ladies, let me see your green, green worship folders, your, your green sheets there. You got them? Make sure you get one of these. If, you, if you're part of Genesis, there is a QR code in there. Find that QR code. Take your phone out right now. Use, use your phone to scan that QR code. And there's a way to register for all that stuff, all right? So we got to get you registered for these things, all right? So ladies, ladies, great stuff coming up. We need, like, great opportunities to grow in your faith, to get up to know other ladies, to, to be involved in church, all right? Now, here we go. Dudes, where, let me hear you. Ooh, all right. Yeah. Fellers, we have a great opportunity for you as well as we start our man-up breakfast, okay? Our manly men breakfast starting next Saturday morning, uh, we're going to have three Saturdays in a, in a row where we interact with, with each other. We have great breakfast planned. Uh, there's going to be meat and pancakes and good stuff, right? And so, so you need to show up uh, for these. Um, but we're also doing a book that is about being too busy. And so your first response is, I am way too busy to go to that man-up breakfast." But that's the very reason you need to come join us next Saturday morning. And the book is available today. So guys, grab a green shirt, uh, folder, you got it? There's a QR code in there. You scan that QR code, there's a place to register. Um, the book is $8. If you forget to get the book and don't read, that's okay, come anyway. But the book, we actually, we want you to register online, uh, which, which the link is, once you scan that QR code, you can find the link to register. But the, out here at the table, we have the books. And so grab the book on the way out, dudes. And, and get uh, signed up and be a part of those, okay? Second thing I want to do is I want to thank this church. Man, we love you guys so much. I love the community of faith that God has put us in, and I am so thankful for you. And for those of you who aren't like, as close to us, you may not be aware that my father in law passed away last week. And Sunday was a visitation, Monday was a funeral, and so many of you made the trek. You know, after I talked about the danger of bridges last week, crossing three bridges to get there, um, and came and hung out and loved on us, we felt so loved and honored by you all. And then then to have a beautiful floral arrangement that that we were able to to remember you and think of you while we mourned and even have that... um, at the graveside there was, was a meaningful thing. And so out there in Illinois farm country, um, it, we just felt the presence of this church here in Eureka uh, it, while we went through a couple of really tough days. But the Lord was gracious to us, and we're thankful for you and thankful for how the Lord worked in that moment. And now, like she's not in here, so I can say it out loud. I was so crazy proud of my wife as she stood up in front of her family And told of the last days of her dad, but shared the gospel so clearly. As a pastor, I can tell you, sometimes you preach a funeral, you are Charlie Brown's teacher. You know, people, like you want to share Jesus and make Jesus clear, but you know that people sitting out there. But when a family member stands up and tells you how the gospel so changed her dad and shaped the way he died, and then tell people that the only way you die that way is to know Jesus— it was just glorious, and so I, I, I'm just so proud of that woman and so thankful to be her husband, uh, but man, it, we're thankful for you as well. So like I said, I did marry an Illinois farm girl, and that at times has gotten me in trouble, um, believe it or not. Uh, so we, we, the first full-time church that I worked at was in California, Missouri. Anybody ever been to California, Missouri? Like three of you? My question is why? It's nothing there. Uh, anyway, I was, I was on staff doing student ministry, kind of associate pastor dude at this church in California, Missouri. And I grew up in St. Louis. Uh, you know, I grew up doing all kinds of yard work. My dad had me working behind the lawnmower when I was 12 or 13 years old. I never really, it was never like my favorite thing to do, but I would do it and still do it uh, to, to this day. But my wife is a, is a farm girl who, like, I buy her power tools for Christmas, true story. Those women who are thinking, that's a shame. Nope. If I buy her jewelry, she just looks at me and rolls her eyes. If I buy her a drill or a lawnmower, she's like, yes! Okay? And so uh, we moved to this little town in California. It's called California, Missouri. I'm serving on church. And the pastor calls me and says, Mike, we got a problem we need to discuss. And so I come into his office, and he starts talking to me. He said, listen, we have some people who are a little bit upset. We just have this issue that we need to solve. And I was like, wow, what did I do? Like, I've only been here a couple months. What? What did I do? And he said, well, your wife was mowing the, the lawn. And I was like, excuse me? Yeah, yeah, your, your wife was mowing. And we have some people who think that's a man's work. And you were mistreating your wife by doing this. And I was like, wait, what? You're, you're telling me people are, in, in the church are honestly upset that my wife is mowing the grass? Yes, that, that's a real problem here. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, and so we tried to figure out how to navigate that because we were in this town where people saw that and felt like that was, like, I should be taking the rain. If I loved my wife well, I would mow the grass. Now, you need to know, in the Hubbard house, if I love my wife well, I'm doing the dishes and letting her mow the grass. That's the way it worked. And so I had to wrestle with this, Okay. My wife won. Like, I voted a couple times, and then we understood this is the way our marriage works. If people won't be upset with us, that's fine. We're going to move on. But here's one of the things that I learned there and have learned through 30-plus years of ministry. Conflict happens. People get sideways about weird things and sometimes about important things. And, and we have to learn how to navigate those moments of conflict in church life. And so we come to this, this interesting story about Paul and Barnabas, and you know, they're kind of the gospel duo. You know, they're kind of like you know, they are the, the, this tandem. They're, they're like Batman and Robin, right? They're like uh, uh, Hall and Oates, they're, they're like Bueno um, and Yachty. They got to stay together forever, right? Except this weird story here what happens is they get into a, an argument that gets so heated that they. Heart ways, that they break up. Breaking up is hard to do, you know. It, Kirk was saying we probably should have played the Neil Sadaka song, and for those of you who don't know Neil Sedakas, it means that you don't know the music that came before me. Like that's really old guy, but breaking up is hard to do, and you can hear the background singers. Well, that's what Paul and Barnabas go through. They go through a, a, a hard moment of ministry breakup. We thought they were going to be together forever doing mission and ministry. Uh, they, like when you say Paul, Barnabas is what you think of next. Just like when you think of Paul, you think of Oates. And when you think of Batman, you think of Robin. Like, like this is what you think of Paul and Barnabas. They're supposed to be together, except they weren't after this. And it's a weird moment. What's happened up to, those of you who've been following along been with us Previously in Acts, we've been studying the story of the advance of the gospel that started with a few people in Jerusalem and is now going to the nations. And Paul and Barnabas have been so instrumental, but their relationship formed around some beautiful, crazy moments. Barnabas, we first meet him in Acts 4, where he literally, um, his name, his real name is Joseph. He's from the island of Cyprus, and he he, um, is in Jerusalem among this early Christian movement, and he sells a pretty substantial piece of ground and gives all the proceeds from the sale, lays it at the apostles' feet so that they are able to um, uh, give that money to care for the poor, use that money to care for the poor and the broken, to to help widows, make sure they have enough food, and to make sure that those who are struggling financially can take care of themselves. He literally is super generous. He picks up a nickname that is Barnabas that literally means uh, son of encouragement, or he is the encourager, like What a nickname. You're like Captain Encouragement, right? you got a giant logo that has an E on your shirt, you know, and a cape. He's Captain Encouragement. Then here's Captain Encouragement who comes along, and, and like, this is his personality. This is his spiritual gift. This is his makeup. Enter Paul into the story. The first time we meet Paul, he is literally standing over the body of the first Christian martyr giving approval, and he starts a massive persecution where he's involved in arresting and killing Christians, Because he is so against this message of Jesus, yet Christ saves him. Gloriously, beautifully saves Paul. His life turns upside down. But you can imagine as he comes back to Jerusalem that the church in Jerusalem, like who saw this guy arrest and kill their friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, are a little leery. I bet he's making this up. He's just using this to get us. we got to be careful. And the apostles are leery, and it's Barnabas who grabs Saul by the, the arm and walks him in to meet the apostles. Like, they're, they're chums. And it is Barnabas who, who paved the way for Paul to even start the ministry that he has. It's Barnabas who's side by side with Paul in the city of Antioch as, they, as this church gets started and it blows up and they, they pastor and they are buddies in ministry in this major city in the Roman Empire It is Paul and Barnabas who then get sent out, and they go all over what is modern-day Turkey, this region called Galatia, where they are preaching Christ, planting churches. They're getting beat up. At one point in time, they literally are thrown out of the city, and Paul is stoned, they think, to death, as Barnabas is standing by watching and probably also getting harassed and abused. Paul and Barnabas, at one point in time, are called Greek gods together. You must be Zeus and Hermes, and the whole town wants— out on and worship it. and they're like, no, but I mean, like if you're called a God with somebody, you must be pretty tight with that guy, right? There had to be like some later times where they're sitting around laughing at each other going, you're Zeus, right? You know, uh, th- 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 there's this closeness. And then Paul and Barnabas stand together side by side to defend the gospel. This is what we talked about last week, to defend the gospel side by side as these people start twisting and changing The the core message of Christianity, they stand boldly together, boldly together to defend the essence of how a person is actually saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. They stand together and push back a false gospel and preserve the truth of the faith. These guys belong together until there's conflict. Conflict is, is, is a part of what happens in our lives um, It would be wonderful to say, you know in a healthy church conflict never happens. That's just not true We're gonna have it here. We have had it here. I've had it with some of y'all It's not whether or not we have conflict It's whether we deal with it in a way that is gospel-centered god-glorifying caring really caring for each other that matters there are going to be times where, where there are struggles and problems between people who are brothers and sisters around the essence of what the mission in the gospel is all about. Because this conflict is not about the fact that, you know, somebody stole somebody else's chicken wings and ate too many of them. Or whether or not Paul's wife was mowing the grass and he really should have been doing it, right? What, at the center of this is the story of this guy named John Mark, who is important to this story And actually is a very important person In the whole narrative of the New Testament But what had happened before this Is that on their first missionary journey John Mark this, We're going to call him Mark from here on out And, and uh, he, like when you see Mark in, the, in anywhere including the gospel of Mark More on that in a minute We're talking about this guy Okay, John Mark went on this first missionary journey With Paul and Barnabas He was with him. He was a young dude, probably late teens, early 20s at best. He was just a young guy who was a leader. He was actually Barnabas' cousin. And so now he's on this journey. And man, he's going to be the guy who takes the mantle for the next generation. They're training him up. Except halfway through the journey, when they had suffered some persecution and pushback, John Mark bails. We're not told why. He probably got homesick. He probably got scared. He probably curled up in a ball, was freaked out. But for some reason, he left. And now we know from this story, his departure wounded Paul and Barnabas. It hurt them, and it actually brought harm to the mission. And so what happens in the story? It's very simple. It's time for us to go again, Barnabas. Let's get on the road, Barney, you and me. We're going to go back to these churches. We're going to encourage them. We've got a letter from the Jerusalem Council to take them, to remind them that Gentiles can be included Without becoming circumcised Man, it's going to be glorious And Barnabas goes, man, I'm all in I'm excited, but we need to take Mark with us And those words created a conflict That ends up with Paul and Barnabas breaking up What is going on here? and What can we learn from it? Well, that's what we want to talk about for the next few minutes What can we learn from this conflict? And how can we apply it to any conflict we have In the context of the church? Now, hear me Some of the things we talk about this morning Do apply when you get in an argument with a friend, uh, you know, and you're upset at the way they treated you out there, or a family member. I'm not saying that, but what this passage helps us most with is in here, with these people. Or when we're working for the cause of the kingdom, and we're trying to honor Christ as best we can together, and conflict happens. We can learn a lot from this story about how to navigate those spaces and figure things out, okay? And so that's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes here, is we're going to look at navigating when conflict comes up for the glory of God. And, and just a few things that we can learn about this navigation. How can we walk through these moments where I, I don't see eye to eye with you, you and I are having tension, or there's a whole group of people, or maybe if for you, it's, you're in a church and you're going, should I stay in this church? I'm a member, but, but should I leave? Now, here's the thing. I'll start right off the bat by saying, we live in a culture that treats church like we treat anything. We're consumers, and the minute a church doesn't give me everything I want, I'm going to go find something else. And I'm telling you, that is harmful for the cause of the kingdom and for your spiritual life. Most of the time you were in a church, you should plow through the conflict, figure out a way to love the people you're around, and stay. Okay? not always there are times we're going to get to that but for the most part just because the pastor uh does this or because the worship music changed their style or because you know they chose to to move the pews or whatever it is like there, there is a tendency for us to run from hard relationships and run towards what is easy but I will tell you that I am a firm believer that that is one of the reasons that, that we are not experiencing the blessings of the kingdom in our culture because the church is consumeristic and doesn't honor Christ in the way we deal with conflict in our relationships. And so let's, let's navigate this. Let's walk through it because there are times to leave. We actually see this in the text. But in the midst of this, we need to figure out how to walk through this. So, so uh, basically a few, few points about how to navigate conflict for the glory of God, knowing that there are gonna be times where it comes up. And the first first big point is this conflict happens. Let's just know it. Let's let's go no front, conflict is going to happen. It's gonna happen in the in the body of Christ, it's gonna happen between individuals, it will happen at times among churches. We see this in the entire story here. Just check it out. Verse thirty-six says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to take them. Uh, take with them, John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. In, in the original language, this phrase, sharp disagreement, is a Greek word that deals with the, the agitation of anger that erupts like a volcano. In, in fact, in the one of the rare moments in history, we actually have video footage of this event, believe it or not. And, and I want to show this video footage to you up here, all right? Let's see this video footage. Now that's Paul saying, he is not going with us. He bailed on us last time. And then the, the guy in the black hat is Barnabas, but going, we can redeem this guy. It can all work out. You see the, the, the argument going on? This is, a con- this is a type of conflict. This is it. You know, this is what's happening between Paul and Barnabas. In this text, okay? So, so Paul's throwing his hat down. You know, he's, he's really upset. By the way, those of you who are like, that's not Paul and Barton. I, I, I actually know that. So, just so so don't leave here going, I can't believe he did that. That's terrible. I cannot stay at this church anymore. Uh, you know, one of the funny things is you watch the end of this clip as Joe Girardi walks away, having probably won the argument, but lost his place in the dugout for the rest of the night. <laughs> Um, I I umpire high school, college baseball. I've learned a lot about how to deal with conflict by being an umpire. Because there's a lot of times where somebody wants to come running out of the dugout and yell at me. Just start screaming because they didn't like something that I did. And uh, I used to yell back. My first response was, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm the umpire, what I say goes, so let's let's have at it. Here's what I've learned to do. If somebody comes running out of the dugout, let me teach you how I I manage this. Because this might be helpful too. This might work at dinner. Okay, I'm just telling you. When somebody starts yelling at me, running out of the deck out of me, first thing I do is I put my hand up and I look right at them and I say, I'm not four. I'm an adult. If you come talk to me like, uh, like an adult, we can have a conversation. But if you're going to yell at me, you're going to go to the shower. That's just that simple. And most of the time it's funny. When I put my hand up and say, I'm an adult. Come talk to me like an adult. The guy who's yelling at me goes, oh, okay. Now, come here, I, I, I will listen to what you have to say and we can have a conversation. Oh, and it's, it's actually hilarious how many times a, a coach coming out of the dugout yelling at me, me saying, I will listen if you will treat me like a human, solve the problem. We had a conversation. We don't always end up agreeing, but it's more civil and I can explain why I did what I did or how I interpreted the rule or why his guy was actually out by three steps and he just felt it in his heart and missed it with his eyes, you know. But, but it's, it changes things. And so conflict happens. Paul and Barnabas have this moment, and this volcano erupts uh, of, of conflict. If I was Luke, I would have skipped this, okay? Now hear this. If I was Luke, and I'm not inspired, that's the point, when we're reading here in Scripture, the Holy Spirit, through the pen of Luke, wanted this in the Bible, I would have found a way to spend this. It would have been easier to write this and go, here's Paul and Barnabas. They're our heroes. They're together. But you know what? They figured out that for the cause of the gospel, they could do more if, Paul, if, if Barnabas went to Cyprus and Paul went back through Galatia. They could do more for the cause of, and for the glory of God, even though it was painful, or, or find some way to, to make them where they maintain their hero status. It's hard to read this and go, these two guys ended up like the Beatles, just getting in a big argument and leaving, Right? It's hard to, why would Luke include this? Why would the Holy Spirit inspire Luke to include this? Well, because first of all, it's just real. It's real life. This, this is what happens in relationships sometimes. And, and, and so what Luke is doing is showing us that even the, the gospel globetrotters, who, who, who we, we knew were together forever, had a moment. And it turned ugly, and they could not stay together after this, at least not at this time. It's real. But I also think this is in Scripture because what we see here is a beautiful part of the way the Bible is written. What we want to do is we want to take Paul and Barnabas and make them heroes. And hear me, there, there are things about who they are, the way they do ministry, their mission that we should look to and mimic and honor but, but you need to know this. The Bible is, is intentional. The authors of Scripture are intentional in making sure that when we look at the people in the Bible with one exception, they show us their flaws. They are intentional about pointing out their flaws, their massive failures, they show us warts and all. We see the worst side of all these people even when we like to mimic the best side. We, we, we are told the stories where the great heroes do horrible, horrible things and end up with brokenness in their lives and relationships because it is a reminder that there is only one hero in the Bible. Let me say that again. There is only one hero in the Bible. His name is Jesus. Paul is not the hero. Paul will tell you that if you read his writings, we Eric just read it. I'm the worst of sinners. Please don't like Paul will look and say, because of what Christ has done with me, he will say, follow me as I follow Jesus. But Paul never says follow me, period. It's always, I'm doing the best I can to follow Christ, but I'm a sinner in need of grace and I'm among the worst of sinners. My life is a mess. I'm not the, like I can't atone for your sin. I can't. The person we get in a fight with is broken and so am I. And the Bible helps us see that we all have these struggles. And so the Holy Spirit inspires Luke to tell us a story because we need to see that even Paul and Barnabas end up in conflict, it happens. Conflict is part of the the story of our lives. And sometimes, you know, this conflict arises. And I will tell you, like I said, I'm, I'm about 34 years into doing ministry in churches like as some form of pastor or leader. And conflict happens. Sometimes it comes from a place you had, like, you had no idea. It came out of left field. Like somebody getting after you for your wife mowing the the grass. Or uh, a church I was in before we came here, uh, it was time to get rid of the early 1970s circa orange carpet. Now, somebody should have been church disciplined for choosing that color. It was awful. This Ugly orange in this weird building that was designed, you could tell it was designed, an orange carpet in the 70s. And, and, and you looked at it, and you know, I was out like, D, did, did you know that the 1970s stuff like that is coming back? Here, here's, <laughs> here's how I know that. I, if you go into a furniture store, I, I went furniture shopping with Heidi last night, my wife. We went in stores, and she kept saying, see, the Brady Bunch era is coming back. And I was like, yeah, but not in my house. Sorry, we, we are not getting a psychedelic uh, velvet couch. Just not going to happen, right? Uh, it, it's coming back. And my only question is why it was bad the first time. Well, that's what the sanctuary looked like. And so it was time to replace the carpet. And everybody had an opinion on what color would work best. And they even formed a committee. And half the committee said, We think this mauveish, purplish, pinkish feel. We'll, we'll pull out the tones in the brick. And, and the other side said, we think we should have this weird blue carpet or this blue color carpet that, that it actually will highlight some of the colors in the wall. I don't know what they were saying, but we ended up a blue team and, and mauve team, pink team. And, and you know what they did? They put blue under the pews and pink in the aisles, and the two colors didn't match with anything. They went from an awful orange to something that was legitimately worse. To the glory of God. You don't see that. Like, you don't see. There are times in my life where I'm sitting in my office and I'm like, wait, what? Hold on, say it again. You're upset about, what? And I have to catch myself because I'm thinking it. I say it out loud. I'm just going to make the person even more angry. There are times where you, you are blindsided and caught off guard. You didn't see it. There are other times where, you know, especially as a church leader, when you start initiating change and moving people in a new direction, um, and, and trying to, to help people navigate certain spaces, and, and all of a sudden these changes will get people upset. For example, being an old traditional church and just say, we're gonna update the music a little bit, we're gonna add a drum set. That same church, this is well after I lo- lo- they kept arguing about the organ. They weren't using the organ anymore but they kept having people who argued. They had moved it off stage, put it in some back room, and they kept having people who came back and kept arguing about the organ. So this guy was an interim pastor. Interim means he's gonna be a pastor until they call a full-time pastor, and he had no intention of staying. In the middle of one afternoon when nobody was there, he found another guy, and they took the organ, They they, they beat it up with a sledgehammer and threw it in a dumpster. And, like, that's nuts, but the argument over the organ's over. I didn't make that story up. That's a true story, okay? Sometimes you see it come, sometimes you don't. But here's the thing that happens. Conflict is part of the story. You know that. You, you have had arguments in the church and outside of the church with people. Sometimes you knew the argument was coming. And other times you're sitting at the dinner table having Thanksgiving meal, and somebody throws something out, and you're like, I didn't see that one coming. And now everybody at the table is upset. And how do you interact with that? Conflict happened. Second thing I want you to see from the text is the problem is not always Sin. Now, here's what I know about the world that if you and I have conflict and I spend enough time with you and I help you understand my point of view, you will come to the point where you know that I'm right. Okay. Those of you who are like, wait, what? I was joking. It is the way I think. Okay? And and, and those of you who are laughing are like, yeah, okay, touche, that's me too. And those of you who aren't, that is the way you think, you're just not willing to admit it yet. Okay, we, we do believe that the problem is that you don't have enough information about what's going on. And if I give you enough information to help you understand, you'll eventually come to see my side. And, and so what happens is, because we tend to see the world that way, when the other person disagrees with me, we push it and we say, well, not only are you wrong, but you actually are sinning against me because of the way you're treating me because you disagree with me. Now watch this. In this story, one of the things that happens is, is the, the nature of the story helps us see that you have two people with two perspectives about this John Mark guy. And the issue is not sin. And I will be honest with you. I'm going to lay it in front of you here in just a minute. Who's right? Here's here's Barnabas, the encourager, captain encouragement. He loves people. He, He inserts himself even into dangerous situations like with Paul, to to be the bridge builder and the encourager. And they're thinking about going and doing this mission. This is all about the gospel to the nations. They both have that as the goal. And Barnabas goes, man, people deserve second chances. I, I see gifting. He's my cousin, but I do see gifting and ability in John Mark, and we need to include him. There's something beautiful and redemptive. And I can see him in this argument looking at Paul and goes, everybody deserves a second chance. And if anybody on planet Earth knows this, Paul, it should be you. Like, Where you came from, you're telling us we can't take John Mark. And then here's marching to hell with a water pistol and take over, big picture. Paul knows what he is called to do, and it is about the gospel to the nations. And they went once, and, and for stuff like this, the ministry is going to be hard. We are going to be persecuted. There are going to be places where standing together as a small band of people against people who are coming at us is going to be a must. I can't look over my shoulder if wonder if somebody is ditching us. The most important people are the souls that we are going to reach. That's the... The most important issue is that we, and he's already, listen, I'm not saying God's done with him. I'm just saying not here because that is more important. What's more important? The individual who needs redemption and ministry or the gospel to the nations and the fact that they can't have a hindrance to reaching people for Christ, which is more important. And and here's what's going on. Probably in here, you are starting to kind of form an opinion. If if you're married or you have family or you have somebody you hang out with or in your community group, raise that as a question this week. Who was right? What, What you will find is, based on the way you're wired, you will see it differently as well. But they have to answer this question about this young man in ministry. And they both get passionate about their answers because they are passionate about the gospel to the nations and the implications of what happens here. The issue itself is not about the fact that Paul and Barnabas, neither one of them are sinning. What they are doing, and this is why this is so important, hear me. What they are doing is is working out of the humanity that God has given them and the gifting and the calling that God has put on them. Barnabas is the encourager. That is his makeup as a human being. It is the imago Dei in him, and it is the, the gift set that he has. Paul has prophetic evangelism gifts, and he is the go-getter, and that is the makeup and the gift set that God has given him in his humanity. And neither's humanity is wrong. But the difference in opinion is rooted in the fact that they both, because of the way God has called and wired them, see the world differently. And, And one of the things that I have to do all the time is wade through this and go, you know, just because you disagree with me does not mean that I'm right and you're wrong. And, and, and just because uh, you disagree with me, it doesn't mean that if I can work hard enough to get the most information and make sure you understand the way I see things, you're going to come around. There are times where I need to pause and listen and realize that your perspective matters because you're humanity and it n- matters. And it's not always, like your disagreement with me is not always you sinning against me. But our default is to think it is. And once I default to think, oh, you're disagreeing, you're yelling, you're upset, you've gossiped because you talked out there. Now, I've talked to just as many people about the problem as you have, but when you do it, it's gossip. When it's me doing it, I'm getting counsel and I'm sharing so people can pray. Right? <laughs> and, and, and if I always assume the worst. So, so watch this. Come on. This is you. This is me. I assume the best about myself and the worst of you in conflict. I assume the best of myself and the worst of you. And what the gospel should do is flip that and say, I should assume the worst of myself, that I'm a sinner in need of grace, and I should assume the best of you, that your motives and intentions actually are not horrible because you are disagreeing with me. It's not always sin. And this is true in the church, and it's true at the dinner table at Thanksgiving. It's not always sin. Now, did it turn into sin here? Maybe, but Luke does not wade far enough in that, that, where anybody is called to actually deeply like go through this process of repentance. They just go their separate ways. And, and so it's not always sin. It, what starts this is not. Both of them have a view of this moment that's important. Third thing I'll tell you this morning is, is not only does conflict happen and it's not always sin that causes conflict, but the third thing I will tell you is that the goal should always be love and unity. The goals should always be love and unity. Now, let let me explain what happens, what I mean by unity and love here. When I'm having a conflict with you, I'm in a church where there's conflict arising. What happens is my default is I need to be right. And there are some times in the context of this where certain people should stand and go, man, we have, to, we have to figure out how to do this together. We, we can't, like, no, no organization is ever going to work where everybody has an equal opinion. We'll never get anywhere. There are, God has raised up leaders so the elders matter in this. Like, like there are clear calls in this to trust your elders and leaders. If they're preaching the gospel and their lives look like the gospel, then, then there is a point where you should follow their lead. Not because they're always right, but because the Lord has called us to that kind of unity. Because if, if we could never do anything until everybody in the room all agreed, we'd never do anything. Right? But, but in the midst of this, no matter what it is, the goal from your elders' perspective, the goal from your perspective should be unity. And love. And and so let me explain what I mean with those two words. These are both biblical words. I'll read a text here where you see both of them. Here's what I mean. Unity, that there is a gospel that we've gathered around. Now last week, if you were here, we said there are places where people start believing things that are not the gospel, that have denied the essentials of Christian faith. We do not stand unified with those people. If you come in here and say, I wanna be part of this church and I want unity, but I wanna pull us towards a view where God is one, he is not, trinit—like you're not gonna be a a person who believes in the Trinity. You've come from an influence that says there's only one God, and the idea of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit being one God, and you come in here and say, I'm gonna teach that? Listen, I'm not going to be unified with you. We're not letting you teach, we're not letting you lead. But when there is unity around the core essentials of the faith, and there is unity around the mission of the gospel. That's what we unify around. It's not the lowest common denominator, it is a high denominator, but we all see the glory of God, the beauty of the gospel, the story in the scriptures, the hope of Christ together, and we see the mission of God at that point in time, we have something where we can come together and be on one team. Listen, this happens in every sports team anywhere. I, like I'm loving watching Eureka High School football and there's a point like where they come running out of the locker room and man, they, may just, they all have different jobs and different roles and they may not even like each other but when they come running out of that locker room or they gather in that huddle, they are one team. They have unified around a set of beliefs and a mission. That's what happens. Unity is not just we all get along. We're all happy. We're, you know, kumbaya and everybody feels good. Unity says there is something to gather around. We're in this together, right? And when I do that, when you are in the gospel, when you are in Christ, I need to learn to see you as an image bearer of God and I need to love you first. And, And so what happens is in conflict what I want to do is I want to be right. I want to lead the way. I want to make sure my voice is heard. And there's a place for discussion about all those. But if I will begin by saying, listen, you are a follower of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. You hold to the truths of the scripture. And you, you want to see Jesus shared, and I do. We may differ in how we do that. But if I begin to see you then as somebody who Christ loves and died for, It's a lot easier to go sit and have coffee with you than just talk bad about you. It's a lot easier to have this conversation face-to-face and to treat you with love and respect. And, And the goal should be love and unity. Romans 12, verses 14 through 18 say this. Bless those who persecute you Blessed do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. i got to tell you that do not be haughty. When I get into conflict, I'm awful. And my wife has story upon story upon story to prove it. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all, and if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, you may seek to honor Christ and seek unity and seek love, and the other person may have nothing to do with it. But here's what Paul's trying to say. My end of this, I'm going to seek unity around the essentials, and I'm going to not repay evil with evil. I'm not going to think highly of myself. I'm going to love you. If you choose not to respond to me in that way, that, that's, like, I'll stand before God and get, give an account for me, not for you. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to pursue love and unity. Here's the main thing. We're in this together. You matter to God. He, Christ died for you. You matter to me. And that's how we engage the conversations. All right, fourth thing, fourth thing, and this, this is important. There may be reasons to separate. There may be reasons to se- separate. What we see is the gospel trotting duo has split up. The issue is significant enough where they cannot come to a resolve, and they do part ways here. And Luke does not pause and moan about that. What Luke does is he very quickly highlights that the gospel mission is multiplied. May not have happened in the best way, but he points out how this ends up being for the glory of God. There are times to leave a church. There are times to to step aside from being part of leadership in a ministry because we don't see eye to eye. There are times where close relationships, I need to redefine the relationship, and there may may need to be some distance. Let me give you some reasons why we might find it a good idea to separate and apart ways in a church or step away from ministry partnering. First of all, Sometimes it, we need to part ways, we need to separate, because of intentional multiplication of ministry. In other words, there are times where it's not about conflict. What we need to do is we need to look at what we're doing and say, man, how can we more effectively reach people, preach the gospel, disciple people? Let me give an example of a couple of ways this has happened in my own life. The first one is happening right now. Some of you in here this morning have, have kind of gone through in the last couple of weeks the reality that the community group that you ended with in the spring is gonna look different in the fall. That that we've moved a leader's a couple leaders around, that there's groups that, that used to meet in this home but and have this leader, and now they're gonna meet in this home, but this leader's gonna lead, and this leader's gonna like that's happening. And as you're learning that, there is a grieving and in, in your soul, it, it and it is a right and proper grieving. But in your soul, there's, there's also some angst of, wait, don't they know how important these relationships are? Don't they know? And, and I honor you for that. I know we've, like Heidi and I have had a community group in our home for 16 years, and multiple times we have sent out our best leaders and people to go launch a new group and lost people that we, like, we fellowship with for two, three, four years weekly. We cried, we prayed, and now they're going elsewhere, like, It hurts. Yet, for Genesis Church to to make disciples and keep growing, we have to do this. And if we don't, then what will happen is we will turn our community groups into cute little huddles full of people who love each other, but there's no way for new people to come in. We won't do a real good job of trying to reach out to our neighborhood where we might pick up people. It's important, like if we don't add new groups, and, and we're not constantly trying to figure this out, we're going to bottleneck the ability of this church to grow and reach people in our community. Just got to know that. But it's hard. Just go talk to the families that are here, where when, when they walk up and say, hi, my name is blank, and I've been here since the beginning. What they're telling you is that they were part of the church that I just kind of poked fun at a few minutes ago, but we love that church. And we were sent out by that church to come plant Genesis. It would have been really easy just to go, mm, we're comfortable here, this is good, I don't really want to leave. Like, they lost, or at least in close relationship, they lost a lot of friends. They had some people at that church who got mad at us and won't talk to us anymore. But we, wanted, we felt the call of God to come to Eureka and plant a church. Sometimes... The cause for separation is not conflict. It's that we want to multiply ministry. But some other reasons. Sometimes we, there, there, needs, there needs to be a separation because you have different philosophies of ministry. That, that you just, like, this is what's happening in this story. Paul and Barnabas just can't come to see eye to eye on what to do with John Mark. And it's not like they can cut him in half and take half of him and leave the other half at home. That's not going to end well, right? And so he's either going or he's not. And at this point in time, because of their giftings and, and their sense of calling and, and the mission, they realize, listen, we, we're not going to be able to do this together. Barnabas is like, I, wherever I go, Mark's going with me. And Paul's like, he's not going with me. And, and so what happens is that they part ways over a philosophy of ministry. Sometimes there is a call to part ways because there is authentic wounding and trust issues that have come up. I've read stories in recent weeks and months among of these scandals about sex abuse, where, where a woman who was sexually abused by a person, I'll get one specific example. You can find it. It's out there in front. A, a, a woman who was at a seminary campus went into the president of the seminary and told the president of the seminary about a man who had raped her who was in the ministry track and lived on a different hall, but he had, he had sexually abused her. And the advice she got, the shameful advice she got is you need to forgive him and restore that relationship because that guy has potential in ministry and and you're going to wreck that. And this is the call is for you to forgive and move on. Shame on that man. That is not right. There are times where the wounding is so deep that, that maybe I need to forgive you, but the relationship will never be the same. And there are violations of the trust of pastors that basically say, you're done being a pastor. I'm telling you, what should have happened to that man is he should have been added over to the authorities, he should have been prosecuted by the school, and he should have never been allowed to preach or pastor again, or at least long life of faithfulness and repentance before that's even considered. There are times, and that's, a, that's an extreme example, but there are times where you were hurt by somebody. And the resolving of conflict doesn't always mean that I have to go back and have the same relationship with that person as I had before. It, that, that's a reason. Sometimes it's because of unrepentant sin. The, the, the person we're talking about really has not, they haven't dealt with sin, and it's actually, it's, you know, I told you it's not always sin, but sometimes it is. You have a pastor or leader who, like, the way they live their lives is visibly not honoring the gospel, and you go, man, I got to leave this church because I see the way that pastor lives. By the way, I go back to California, Missouri, believe it or not, I dealt with that there. And sometimes your pastors and elders or other leaders or other people, there's unrepentant sin and you know they're not honestly dealing with it. It is there and you have to go, man, I I love you. I want to be unified and treat you as a human being. But at the end of the day, I just see this. And the last last one I have is sometimes you will see a church or a pastor or leader drift away from doctrine and that's not okay. So, so, so there may be reasons to separate. Last, and I'm going to hit this real quick, is that in the end, forgiveness is a must. So, so we do have conflict. Sometimes that conflict is not because of other person's sin, but sometimes sinful things happen in the conflict. Uh, and, and, and yes, um, there are, our goal is unity and love, and there are times to leave, but even if I leave, the goal, like the understanding is that I must figure out how to forgive that other person. Now, let me, let me make this clear. I've already said this, but I'm going to say it again. Forgiveness does not always mean the relationship goes back to where it was. So, so that, back to that awful scenario. Is it a correct statement to look at the girl and say, eventually you have to process forgiveness for that person? The answer is yes. I'll explain why in just a minute. But forgiveness does not mean that that girl needs to go back where she is like close and in a tight relationship with that individual ever again. It shouldn't happen. But there is a sense in which she needs to figure out how to release the debt. And here's why. At the heart of our message, at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of our story is the fact that we are sinful and our, our broken relationship with God is way greater than the worst of offenses to any of us. And in the midst of this, God sent his son. He moved towards us. He didn't move away from us. He moved towards us in grace. And Christ paid the debt for your sin. Hallelujah. I am forgiven. That, that on the cross Jesus shed his blood to give you forgiveness of your sins. That no matter who you are, if you are Paul who murdered Christians, the gospel is enough. You are forgiven and saved. I don't care who you are in this, this, this morning, how, how, like, how bad and broken you feel like your life is. I am here to tell you that there is a remedy. The cross and the blood of Jesus is sufficient to forgive you of all your sin. Forgiven people forgive. At any point where I'm unwilling, now that doesn't mean I can just go, all right, I'll forgive you and move on. It may take a a whole life of processing what that means. And most of us in here have at least one person who hurt them so deeply that walking through that, it takes your whole life. But in the midst of this, there is not any ambiguity in the scriptures for believers of Jesus about the call. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you ephesians 4 32 and so what we see in this text what's beautiful about this text is if all you have is this moment that's it but but what happens is is in the rest of the story now barnabas and and, uh, barnabas and mark disappear from acts but they don't disappear from the story because we also have paul's writings what we know from Paul's writings is that there's a couple mentions of Paul later in his life in letters where he mentions Barnabas, giving us hint that Paul and Barnabas reconciled, that they were even still doing ministry together. They were showing up in the same cities. They weren't necessarily going together on the tour, but they were showing up. In, in, like in Corinth, Paul mentions Barnabas, which tells us that the Corinthians, who come much later than this moment, we're going to learn about Paul going to Corinth in, in a month or two, but Paul mentions Barnabas, it tells us they knew who Barnabas was, which means they were still, like they'd come back together in some way, shape, or form. Not only that, we find out that later in Paul's ministry, Mark becomes very dear to him. Mark is important. In his, some of his last writings, Paul mentions Mark. He talks about him in Colossians and about the importance of Mark and his ministry. And at the end of his life, he tells us that Mark is with him when everybody else abandoned him. So, so what happens is this person who Paul had this conflict, at the end of his life, they, they come together and they're important. But more importantly, this Mark guy gets connected with the apostle Peter in Rome and they're doing ministry. They're preaching Christ in the most important city in the world. And as Peter is aging, Mark has heard Peter preach Christ over and over and over again. And Mark is inspired Inspired by the Holy Spirit to start writing what he's heard Peter preaching. And you can read that this week if you pick up your Bible and read the Gospel of Mark. One of the greatest gifts that God gave the church is John Mark, who gives us the most straightforward and easiest gospel. In fact, when people come to me and say, Where if I'm going to start reading the Bible, where should I start? It's easy. I tell people to start reading the Gospel of Mark because it's the easiest gospel to understand. And we have that gospel because Barnabas was redemptive and because Paul eventually forgave, right? Forgiveness is not an option for us as believers. Processing that takes a long time. And so I'm gonna close this morning. The band's gonna come up here as I go through this. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna close with a few questions. I got six quick questions that when you are in conflict, so like right now, if you're in conflict, write these down. Write them down if you're not in conflict. Remember them. Here's some questions to navigate in your own soul and life at, when, when you're in conflict with people. All right, you ready? Six quick questions, and then we're, I'm going to pray get off of here and we're going to worship Jesus who forgives us. Okay, number one, does it really matter? Does this matter? Like, think about it this way a year from now, is anybody going to care about this issue? I can tell you, pink and, and purplish blue carpet are not that big a deal. Does it really matter? Am I in an argument over something because I got my feelings hurt or because I'm standing where I need to stand on something that matters? Number two, what don't I know? Now, I am asking the question, what don't they know? And I'm trying to figure out how to make sure they know it. But you need to know if there's conflict. You probably are failing to understand. You either don't have information about what the other person is saying or feeling, and sometimes even about who the other person is and their story. And the only way I can learn that is by stopping my mouth and opening my ears. What don't I know? The conflict may be because you don't have enough information. It may not be because the other person doesn't have enough. It may be because you don't have enough. Number three, have I prayed for and with that person? Have I, have I prayed for and with that person? So, so, so here's, here's a rule that I'm not real good always at following, but I think I should get better. For every minute I spend talking about somebody, I should spend an hour praying for them. Jesus literally said, pray for your enemies. And, and when you're my brother and sister in Christ, you're not even my enemy. So if I can pray for them, I should be able to pray for and then with you. I mean, one of the best things when you're having a conflict is say, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee. I just want to pray with you. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Let's just go pray. How often do we fail to do that? Have I prayed for and with the person? Number four, is there a seed or root of bitterness in me? So many passages address, do not let this root of bitterness grow. Well, a root starts with a seed. And this is what can happen. This, this, we get sideways with somebody, and next thing you know, that seed is planted in me. I said some awful things, and that seed is planted in you, and now bitterness is growing. And now we can't do anything with each other because the bitterness is what defines the whole relationship. Even I can't see it because it's deep. It's, it's a root. It's not a whole tree that's flourishing. It's a root down deep inside. I, I don't even recognize it's there. Number five, have I talked to the other person? And have I talked about him or her? Like Matthew 18 says, if I have a problem with you, I go see you. In in Matthew chapter five, it tells me that if I'm at worship and, and coming to the Lord's table or I'm singing songs and I realize that person has something against me, I should leave my offering and go find you And start talking to you about how we can navigate this. What we do is we talk to, about the other person, everybody else. But we're not, like, willing to sit down. Let's go back to mowing the grass. The first thing that pastor should have done is when somebody got upset at me about the the, the person, my wife mowing the grass, he should have looked at them and said, "If if you have a problem, you need to go take Mike out for a cup of coffee. My whole problem in that whole thing is I still don't know who started the conversation. And the pastor was wrong by stepping in the middle. Okay? Have I talked to or about the other person? And last thing, number six, is, is the issue here really a hill to die on? Is it really a hill to die on? Do, you know, like, now that I've heard and inter, inter, interacted with you, I'm upset, I'm emotional, but is this something that we need to part ways in, in the relationship or can we figure out a way to navigate this? There are times apart ways, but most of the time, our, our move should be back towards the people of God and the people that are in our church and our faith community. Conflict happens. Breaking up's hard to do, but there is a way to navigate this in a gospel that helps us honor Christ in the midst of it, and sometimes the way we navigate conflict is a display of the gospel and the glory of God to the world around us. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we know these things happen. This is a crazy text about a crazy moment, but we pray that you will help us honor you with the way we navigate our broken lives and our moments of conflict. Um, Help us learn how to honor scripture and keep the main thing the main thing. Your name I pray. Amen.